Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The new and improved formula now guaranteed not to leave a soapy, scummy film in your bathtub or your eardrums. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 200 of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you 100% pre-recorded. Yes, I do this. It's late Sunday evening because uh, next week I'm on the road up in Richmond the entire week prepping for uh, for the IPCPR and for heading out to Vegas. So you get me 100% pre-recorded, and that works out well for my guest coming up. (laughs) In the meantime, in pipe parts, I'm going to follow up on that little reverse calabash that I bought at the Chicago Pipe Show. I've done a bunch of smoking with it, and we'll talk about that. And my guest tonight is um, part one of a two-part interview or visit or... um, sit back and listen to with Mike McNeil from McClelland. Uh, I've, we talked this afternoon and I've edited it and recorded it and uh, you're just going to have to sit back, relax and enjoy it. I mean, that's all there is to it. Uh, Mailbag music, rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, I just want to take this moment to uh, pontificate a little bit about 200 shows. Uh, when we first started doing this, the thought of doing 200 of them was uh, was kind of a kind of a far-fetched uh, long-term goal. But uh, hey, we made it. And the main reason we made it is because you guys sat out there and listened to them. So I only have to sit here and do them once a week. You guys actually have to sit there and listen to them. And I've heard from you know, every continent in the in the world most states in the United States, and uh, it's just a, it's an amazing feeling to know that I'm sitting here doing this, uh, doing this little podcast here, like recording this one on a Sunday night by myself, and out it goes to the world, and uh, creating a pipe club or pipe community throughout the world, just from a little microphone and a computer and, uh, and a couple of uh, foam cartons to help deaden the noise. Uh, not too dead tonight because it's hot and I've got fans blowing to keep me and the computers cool. So anyway, I appreciate every, uh, every one of you out there that listens and it's because of you that we've been able to keep this thing going. So let's get show number 200 on the way. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. And here we go. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. If you're looking for quality, If you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupofJoes.com. CupofJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupofJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupofJoes.com, and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupofJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Alright, uh, before we get to Mike, here's what happened. Just a recap. At the last Chicago Pipe Show on uh, the pre-show on Friday, one of the things I was looking for was a reverse calabash. Never smoked one, never tried one, so I was looking for one at a, at a decent price and wanted to get a good one. I found this little one. I've put a uh, put a picture up on the website or up on the show page, and it's made by Constantinos Anastopoulos. I'm sure I absolutely destroyed that name. Uh, but anyway, Constantinos made a uh, he had a gorgeous presentation at the pre-show. Uh, he and his wife were there, and I was looking at his reverse calabashes, and again, it's a very simple pipe where the bowl is, uh, the tobacco chamber itself is set up above the shank, and uh, the the reverse calabash part is the large part inside the shank. Now, I picked up the pipe. What I liked about this one in particular is it has the uh, the, the maze of mitos on it, so that's the, the etching that you see on it is one continuous line all the way around. Uh, and then at the end of it is where the, uh, if I understand it right, is where the Minotaur would get out of the labyrinth. Uh, so anyway, beautiful work on the pipe. Uh, when I picked up the pipe, I noticed that you could rotate the stem 100, you know, 180 degrees and it didn't matter. So it was drilled well. Now, when I got the pipe home... Was a, I was a little reluctant to try it because, again, it was a brand new pipe. I don't like breaking in brand new pipes. But about two weeks ago, I dedicated that pipe to the first pipe of the morning because it's a smaller bowl. It's about a group two, group three size bowl. So I had my breakfast bowl in it and was really impressed with the cool and easy smoking of it right away. I mean, just absolutely no break-in needed. Uh, I did run some uh, a, a pipe cleaner with Everclear through it just to, uh, you know before I before I loaded the bowl just to get whatever dust might be in there. But again, I was really impressed with how cool smoking and how easy smoking it was. Uh, I think because the tobacco chamber is halfway up the pipe and the way the engineering of it is, uh, it just it it's really hard to pack the pipe improperly. In fact, it may be a little too free flowing for me, so I've had to, so I tried packing it a little tighter and tried a couple of different things. Now, the big thing that I did notice with it, and this makes it, this is important for me, especially with the compact size of this pipe. Uh, one, I had to be careful packing it too tall and you know trying to get too much tobacco in there because you got to leave a little bit of room at the top of the bowl for expansion. But because it is so small, I was trying to pack more than I should have into it a couple of times. But I could smoke it multiple bowls in a row without it really getting wet, gurgly, nasty. Uh, that is really important to me, especially for if I'm going to take a pipe out for the day and I'm going to smoke it two or three times during the day. Uh, in fact, what I did on the second day that I smoked it completely, I wanted to see how many bowls I could smoke it before I needed to, uh, pull it apart and dry it out completely. And of course I was, you know, I wasn't chain, wasn't chain puffing on it or trying to get it bitter hot, but it took about four bowls, really, before I felt like I needed to pull it apart, clean it out. All right. The other thing that impressed me incredibly is I can still use a pipe cleaner with it. And because of the engineering of it, and I don't know if this is true with all reverse calabashes, but I could get a pipe cleaner while I'm smoking it straight up the stem right into the bottom of the tobacco chamber. Flawless every time. Just a straight pipe cleaner right through. So that impressed me, and that also makes it really functional for me in my pipe smoking technique to take that pipe out, take a, a, a pouch of tobacco and about six or eight pipe cleaners, and I'll be good to go for three, four bowls and enjoy every one of them. 
Um, now, in in between, after I was done with it for the day, what I did do is I did pull it. I pulled it open after it had cooled down a little bit, and used Everclear on the inside of the uh, reverse calabash portion of the chamber, the same way I do at the bowl. So I wiped the tip around there, just to clean it out, folded it in half, and ran it in there. Tried to get it dried out, and then put it right back together again. But again, really impressed. Uh, it does make the um, uh, it it does take the edges off of some of the blends so if you're if you've got a very uh a very high octane blend and you want to smooth it out a little bit or maybe a blend that's a little young and you want to smooth it out might want to try a reverse calabash anyway there's my report on it take a look at it on the uh, on the pipes magazine radio show page and uh in just a minute hold on to your hats and glasses because here comes uh, the very shy and uh, unopinionated Mike McNeil. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th President of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit Sutliff-Tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, as I said earlier, hang on folks, this might be a wild ride. If you're driving, buckle up, your seatbelt's even tighter. If you're sitting down, hold on to some handrails or something, because please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, Mike McNeil. Mike, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. I know this is what you said was your 200th show, and uh, I'm honored to be on it. And uh, I just want to first say that anything I say, it's not the opinion of McClellan Tobacco Company or my wife, Mary, that owns the company. And she's downstairs on a treadmill watching Poirot, so she doesn't kick me. <laughs> so I think we're going to have a good show. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to squeeze this in to one show, but I have a feeling... <laughs> This will be. Uh, I have a feeling we'll we'll, we'll end up doing uh, two shows worth. And again, this is all pre-recorded uh, because of my travel schedule, and also for the safety and sanity of those listening, and uh, to make sure that we're um, muted in case we get off track. Um, so let's start with this. All right, you grew up in Kansas City, right? All right, you want me to go through the history because you don't even know the questions they asked me, really. Right, I don't know the questions, so go ahead. You you just talk, I'll sit here for a while and listen like normal. Yeah, yeah, just sit back for a second. Okay, go right <laughs> ahead. 70, 1973, when I was 17, I walked out of a shoe store job. And anyway, at high school, they had work half day, go to school half day. So since I wasn't any good at school, I went to work. So they sent me to Fred Devil Tobacco in Kansas City. He was the premier tobacconist in town. He had four stores. And he had a factory, actually. And many people say, well, this explains a lot. But the factories were in a cave. 
and not a good cave. It was kind of cave where you'd hear something and a four hundred pound rock would crush a car out in the parking, you know, area. <laughs> I'm not kidding either. So Carl Ewa was down there and uh we were down there processing tobacco, believe it or not. I mean the whole cave stunk and the first day I hand labeled cans, that's what I was supposed to do. The next day I was shoveling Case Burley into a rotary dryer, which is old 25 foot two by three foot across with pipes heated to uh, basically take down the casing and caramelize it and take off water moisture. And I realized, I didn't know what it was, but I liked it. The other teenagers, of course, were complaining and bitching about it, but I liked it. And it kind of started from there. And we did a lot of experiments. We were actually making Virginia cakes, Burley cakes, all that, but we really didn't, really didn't understand them. Although we had great sales through the four stores, we just, there's a lot of stuff missing, and I'm 17, and, you know, Carl's doing what he's doing, and we just, and then he left in, in 76 and started McClellan in 77 with a partner and my wife. Then his wife, of course. And uh, that's when they really start cranking on making cakes correctly and understanding them and doing experiments. I was still at Diebel's, and at some point, I can't remember Diebel, I knew he wanted to get back to his store and not have the factory because it wasn't going anywhere. Basically, because we didn't understand what we were doing and how to market it. We didn't go to any RTDA shows, the Retail Tobacco Dealers of America. They went, but they didn't try to supply any other retailers. We only supplied a couple. So in uh, 80, basically uh, Carl's friend that he started this with left, and I was pulled in. And, of course, immediately I knew how to make cakes, and everything was fine. But we still, we weren't, we were poor. We were poor like Bangladesh, we're living on a garbage pile, but we didn't have any money. <laughs> now, wait a and, second. Uh, wait, let, wait. Let's go back a second. You were? Did you spend seven years working in those caves for Fred? About six. In between, I worked on Volvos and Sobs, and I hated it. <laughs> but I learned. I was really good mechanically, even though I never went to any training sessions. I could just take things apart that I didn't know what it was, but I could put it back. I just didn't know what it was. And uh, then I got pulled in there, thankfully. Took a 50% pay cut to go back into tobacco because I knew I just had to do it. And we were in the duplex basement, low ceilings. I mean, I'm down there with a cutter, mixers, all that stuff. It was pretty miserable. And uh, they lived upstairs. And, you know, it was a hellhole, but it, it, it was working. I mean, you, you wonder what the neighbors think. Well, I had one. They, I mean, we'd have 48-foot trailers back down the driveway delivering tobacco. And, <laughs> but the guy was 90 years old, and he'd come and say, damn, that's a big damn truck. I'd say, yep. And he'd go back in the house. You know, that was about the extent of it. Didn't bother him. <laughs> so uh, we did that. And then in 82, Carl had a burst aneurysm in his brain. And so everything went, I won't go into a lot of detail on that, but it ended up, he didn't want any part of the company. He was messed up mentally. He just left. I mean, he was gone. So there's uh, Marie and I standing there. She has no car. We have no money. And uh, I bought the first uh, floor scale. I had $2,000 in the bank. I bought a scale for 500 I still have that scale. Let's go back to the and, beginning uh, of wait. Let's go back to the beginning of McClellan. What were the first products that you were were making? Were you was it some McClellan brand? Uh, they were making ten cans. Yeah, under McClellan's label, the brown label and the green label. The uh, brown were the Virginias, and the green labels were the uh, Oriental mixtures. And they would bag every one of them and wax seal the top, like we do anniversary now. Yeah. And that's it. That's what it was. And then when I got there, they had just started the bulk, high-grade bulks, 2010, 2015, all that. We didn't have any aromatics. So then I, I started work. We were going to do aromatics, and I started working on uh, trying to figure out casings and things. And I had beakers and 
burners and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I went, I did it for three months, seven days and seven nights. And I knew that I was missing something, but I couldn't, I tried everything. There wasn't anything that I didn't try. I knew I was missing something. My wife went down to uh, Linda Hall Science Library in Kansas City and started studying certain things, which I won't repeat right now. I might one day. I mean, what the hell? One day, <laughs> it probably won't matter. But uh, it's really interesting. But she she couldn't pass a science course that she went ten times in a row. But she goes down there and she's gone three days. And as she walks in the garage door, I'm in there doing another one. I had a whole book of them, throwing them away, doing this and that, because I found your problem. <laughs> and I, I, I hate it when I can't figure out. I go, okay, what? And she told me, and I took my pipe off the counter. I filled it with the back, and I hooked it up to the shop back and caught the bowl on fire, and it fell off the stem. <laughs> it took me eight months to get over that I didn't discover it. But she's always been smarter than I am, so, you know, it all worked out fine. And that's how it took off for the uh, paramedics. Now, I know... And then we were, well, I want to I want to back up and talk about the Orientals and the Virginias from way back then because, I mean, you guys are one of the few companies that still sources out uh, varietal Orientals and Virginias from God knows where to get the right ones. So in the when you guys were getting tobacco, I mean, you were were you calling Greece and Turkey to get the correct tobaccos? No. What? And I was going to bring this up during this when they started buying leaves, even at Diebel's, we knew Aubrey Evelyn and Randy Cox. They worked for UST, United States Tobacco Company, which made Copenhagen a school. But we became really good friends. My wife would visit their Aubrey's house go horseback riding with her daughters, all that kind of stuff. So we're going along okay. Well, not okay. We're still poor. <laughs> then UST, you know, if UST made $5 million a year in pipe tobacco, that didn't matter to them. It was still nothing because Cope and Skull were multi-billions. They didn't want to do it anymore. So they had master craft pipes and all that. So they sold to this guy in Yo, Pennsylvania, House of Windsor. We just call it House of Wonder. <laughs> so uh, this guy was screwed. What, what it was, was when, when you get a tobacco cart, and they call them C48s, there's 440 pounds in a case. That's four foot by whatever it is. And it's packed with a platen, so it's hard. You could drop it off the Empire State Building, and it wouldn't hurt it. <laughs> So I needed my leaf aerated. They run it through a silo, fluff it up, and then you get like 175 to 200 pounds in that same case, and it works out fine. Well, they were going to continue to do that, but he screwed it up so bad, it was unusable. Mold, all this stuff. We even went down there to see him in 86 or whenever it was. Yeah, here we are, pathetic, in trouble. And the way he talked at the dinner table, and Aubrey and Randy were there, my wife started breaking down and crying like a 10-year-old girl. I mean, you could it was a disaster. But at the same time he did that to us, he did it to one of the big leaf companies. I would say a standard commercial. They were having stuff cut there, and it was molding. And I remember I was on the phone with the secretary, Beth Leonard, and I said, she goes, oh, my God. I said, what? One of those big guys from Standard just walked by, and he is mad. Well, I didn't know who it was. I didn't recognize the name. I didn't know anybody back then, really. So uh, what happened, um, I realized we're in deep trouble, just like 89, right in there. But I had become friends with Phil Mazzoni of Lane. Lane and Dunhill were at... Uh, they ran the RTDA show. I mean, they were yeah, They had money, 32 salesmen. David Michaud was chairman. Phil Mazzoni invented BCA and 1Q and everything with Herman Lane in New York. And uh, I became friends with Phil right off. So I used to hang around the Lane booth. David Michaud was a chairman. He was connected with Robin 
brothers. They owned Dunhill and Lane, and they were multi-billionaires, white South African guys. When a billion was a lot of money, it isn't now, but it used to be. <laughs> and they were they had yachts, jet aircraft. Hell, those two did. Those two guys, they didn't even know there was commercial airlines. Hell, they just thought everybody had one. <laughs> In fact, they David liked McClellan so much that he, when the Rothmans came to a show, he came by and said, I want to introduce you to Rothman Brothers. Of course, I had to felt like I had to go get psychotherapy. It scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and they walk up. First thing I'm looking at the Rothmans, I'm thinking, where the hell did they get that suit? Man, they got a silkworm farm in South Africa. You know, it's $5,000 suits and $3,000 shoes. That really, and they're carrying a briefcase. They're really intimidating. And they had a model of the Rothman yacht on display at the Dunhill booth. And here I am. I'm thinking, boy, I have sold enough today to buy my sandwich, I think. Just intimidated the hell out of me. And uh, then they, David actually wanted to buy McClellan. They had gone to Tucker, Georgia, because when they were making black cabbage, they were stinking up New York, didn't find a thousand a day. So Phil had to move it to Tucker, only because Dave showed him. He wanted to live in Atlanta. They should have been in Farmville, North Carolina. <laughs> he may go crazy, but you don't have any shipping costs. <laughs> but they ended up there. And David wanted to buy McClellan and move me to Tucker to run Tucker. And Phil actually, I can talk about it, they're both long gone, but Phil called me and said, don't do this, Mike. You don't want to be with the Rothmans. They'll kill you one day. <laughs> so I kept going. The Rothmans didn't want us anyway because we, were, we weren't making enough money even to buy their jet fuel for a week. But David wanted it, and we became good friends and everything. And... Uh, so, in 89, I was in trouble because House of Windsor was just a disaster. So, I, I said, Maria, I'm calling Lane. She said, don't call him. You're showing weakness. I said, well, I'm out in the street in my underpants with a tin cup. It's going to be pretty obvious I've got an issue. <laughs> so, I called Phil. I said, Phil, I'm in deep trouble. I'm, I'm going to be out in the street. I have nothing. So he got David on the phone, and David said, you're in trouble, Mike. And this, and this is an example of the way to back those people are. Once I got up there and got to know him, I said, David, I'm dead. And this is my competitor. Granted, they're gigantic. But he said, Mike, from now on, we will sell you anything you want, and we, from this day forward, we will never make a penny on you. We're going to help you. So I had some things covered from them. But I needed the strip. I needed the right leaf, uh, like I was getting from UST. So I, I got the Global Journal out, which was massive then. It's like 40 leaf companies. Now there's only two, mainly. Yeah. Let's recall all these numbers. Well, I only spent $10,000 on nobody, blah, blah. If I get the guy that left House of Windsor very, anyone who's angry. So... He says, I'll call you in 10 minutes. And I tell him, I'm a nobody. I might send $10,000, $20,000. He calls Randy Cox. They had gone to leaf school. They used to have leaf schools, Burley and Flu Cured Leaf School. So you learn how to grade, buy, and all that. They're Reynolds, all that stuff. So Randy said the magic words. As a personal favor to me, you're to save Mike's ass from the street. Guy calls me back. He said, well, now I know you know Randy, and I've been told to save your ass from the street, and that's what I'm going to do. So he goes, you're too small for me, but my vice president's going to do it. So I quickly became friends with this guy, Lewis Dickerson, in Wilson, North Carolina. Couldn't have to understand him, but I was friends with him. <laughs> And then we went, met him at the Carolina Beach in North Carolina. He brings his wife, Michelle. I'm with Maria. Well, I didn't know it, but we, we met on a Friday. Monday, they were going to file for divorce. Okay. And they had such a good time on the beach that I hear they're still married. And he was grateful. I didn't even know it was a problem, but he was very grateful. And Lewis would... If I needed uh, Virginia cut for my aromatics, he cut it for free. I didn't pay any more than they paid. I had free storage. It, tobacco people, there's no other industry like it. 
if if you're they like you and you're kind of in that circle, they will do stuff for you even if the company loses. You know, Coke wants Pepsi people running down the street with wild boars chasing them, and their houses are all on fire. That's what they want. But tobacco people are completely different. And I've been going to Wilson, North Carolina since 1990 every year. I still talk to the same guys that saved me. And I go boating, and they go on their boat, and they've got homes on the beach and all that kind of stuff. We still talk every week. I talked to Randy yesterday. I've known him 43 years. And uh, immediately I realized now we make some money. They saved us. And I can get the good stuff, and I don't have a problem. We, you know, we missed a missed a lot of bullets. You know, hostile possible takeovers of this and that company. We we've, we've been very very lucky. And then uh, Aubrey and Randy, by the way, who were working at House of Windsor after USP sold it to them, uh, Aubrey left, and Randy went to Consolidated Cigar, which is now Altidus. It's changed hands seven or eight times. And now Imperial Cigarette owns it. And uh, so that's really how it worked out. And, and uh, it, it without, you know, a lot of pipe smokers say, oh, the cigarette guys are, you know, bringing bad name. You know, without the cigarette guys, I wouldn't be here. I mean, there is no way. I mean, we went through a lot of hell for a lot of years. And I've worked seven days virtually for 36 years. I was down here today. I'd be down here tonight. I'm. Once I realized I was going to be okay if I worked, you know, I knew in 1990, coming back on the plane, I said, okay, Mikey, this is your chance. We're going to help you, and you better get back and work. And I've probably overdone it for, you know, 36 years, but, uh, you know, I don't live like so-called normal people. I mean, on Sunday, people are getting their paper and, eating her breakfast and shaving her legs or whatever they're doing, and I'm down at work worried about Christmas cheer. This I still do. I've been here today worrying about it. This is a perfect spot to yeah, take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk to you about strip and uh, air curing and then uh, what, how do you suggest to shave your legs. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, Mike McNeil, who begged me for 200 episodes to come on the show and tell his story, so finally we're doing it. And um, you're suffering for it. Uh, Mike... Describe for everybody, what exactly is strip well, yeah, tobacco? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, Let me yeah. say some other things that happened. Okay. And I'm looking at a, a 1983 tobacco retailer's almanac. In 98, when the master settlement agreement was signed between the big four cigarette guys and others to pay back the states for health care costs of $19 billion, Gallagher and Imperial, in one night quit shipping the big-name old-time cans over here that were going through Faber-Co or James B. Russell Distribution, Capstan, St. Bruno, Three Castles, Three Nuns, Escudo, all that stuff stopped in one night. Yep. So that helped us 
obviously, because you got to remember back when McClellan started, all the big names, John Cotton, everybody was still out there, Balkan Sobrani. But as the numbers of the pounds have gone down, well, they just didn't care anymore. I mean, actually, Imperial, when they were making their products, I'd heard they were going to throw all their equipment in the trash and just abandon it. And I actually called them. <laughs> and a guy named that was there, I remember his name, he was like the singer, Andy Williams. I said, what are you going to do? He said, throw it in the trash, Mike. We don't care anymore. I said, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. Let me come get it, and I'll drag it back over here and try to figure it out. Well, I didn't know if Hansi Peterson, A.C. Peterson was buying it, and he called me and said he already bought it, and that guy didn't know. So you can see a lot of things have happened as the industry's gone down in poundage and just things things have come back. I'm not going to name any names, but you know you got to you got to think. Uh, Carreras Brothers, Rat Rays, Dunhill, they're all they were all gone. The big houses. There were 90 blenders in England, according to Alan Schwartz, who had uh, Wessex and all that, and he's probably right. Now there's zero. They're all gone. And so it kind of left a big hole there for us to do better with the help of the big guys. I couldn't, I couldn't have done without their help. And my wife, you know, has invented so many products. She has, she's the best taster that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not just saying because I'm married to her. She was terrible. I tell her she's terrible. <laughs> and then she'd kick she's you. She's better than anybody. I don't let anything out. She invented all the frog marks, for example. I, you know, she would do it while I'm doing something else. Bam! I mean, they were done, and I, I got stalled out on the one I did do, which was the uh, stave frog. I worked on that for months and months, and I couldn't get it. I remember I was sitting on a porch one night, a couple of weeks before RTDA, whenever it was. I don't, the years all meld together. I don't. So I had her degrees out and set her my shirt off, smoking this tobacco at midnight. But she came out and said, I'm defeated. I've never said that in my life because I never give up. I'm like tapping on the Germans. I'm not going to quit. <laughs> but I, that night, I'd had it. I said, I've been on this day and night, seven nights a week. For months, I can't do it. I've failed. I can't have it to show I'm dead. And I was really upset. She goes, did you stove Red Virginia? I said, yes, I did, and it's in it. Well, you need more of it. Go back down to work. You know, normal people. Oh, in the morning, I'll go get there. As soon as she said, I said, okay, I'm going. I got back at 1.30. I went down at my triple beam scale. Got it. We keep it. You know, we're crazy. Blended it up, and that was it. It was correct. And then I knew, I knew what I did wrong. So you can see without her, well, guess what? <laughs> and the state thing's interesting because for years I was buying, for a few dollars, at McCormick Distillery in Western Missouri. They were distilling alcohol. And they'd have all these barrels there. And I'd keep looking at them. And, boy, you could age tobacco in a barrel. But I had done hundreds of experiments with alcohol, and it didn't work. You put any alcohol on pretty much. Man, my exception, I put a little on the Navy Cavendish. But that's a weird combination. Then you just throw it. It's ruined. It's, it's all ruined. doesn't work. I've done hundreds of them. I've done probably 7,300 experiments since I started doing them. I hate them now. I won't do them anymore. I can't put it in barrel. Well, every time you take the lid off, flip it around, well, the volatiles, they're gone. The volatiles are gone. Set. So one day I'm staying at work. I've been thinking about this for years. I had barrels in the office. Uh, wait a minute, and I just took a stave, and I tried to pick a barrel. I'd move it around here, sloshing it, which means the liquor was leached from heat out of the charcoal. I always picked the wet ones, driving back home, or back to work. One day I thought, well, you dumbass, why don't you just cut a piece of the stave and put it in every can, and you get the essence in the charred wood and the oaks. So I jumped off the dock, took a circular saw, and cut a piece. I looked at it, I said, my God, you've been that stupid for that long? <laughs> I mean, you know, it took me about five minutes to get over that. I cussed myself out at least ten times a day, and that one, I invented new words. I mean, it's like a, 
was like a light one. I'm like, well, put one in every can. Then the essence will come out in the wood and the char, and there it is. You stupid person. And that's all we did, and that's just gone crazy. And, uh, you know, I used to go down to work since that's all I did. I didn't want anybody around me. I'd go down like Saturday, Sunday, get a chair, sit in the middle of the factory, and I'd think, all right, stupid. You're doing something wrong, or you're not doing something you should be doing, but you just haven't thought of it yet. I'd sit there like four or five hours staring at it. A lot of times I'd come on and I couldn't think anything. Sometimes I would think, oh my God, I've been doing something wrong for 20 years. Why am I not doing this? Or that just, and that's how this, plus my wife's really great suggestions. Or I wouldn't even be, I'd be out in the street now, even if the big guys helped me out. Or I wouldn't even have the cardboard out there. I'd be standing there. But, uh, Brian knows that, hell, everybody knows it. I'll just admit it right now. Get it over with. So, we were always coming up. I don't really want to come out with anything new. I kind of quit for a while. I mean, yeah, I've had a few that she's made me do. But I don't like coming out with the same old stuff. Oh, let's make a new Latakia mixture. I mean, what the hell for? There's 10 million. There's more tobaccos now than there were in the 50s, for God's sakes. It's stupid. So I, I don't want to do anything unless we came out of the Grand Orientals because nobody had the varietals in the Grand Orientals before. I, why? I don't know. I mean, I don't know why Dunhill, the big boys didn't do it because the, the stuff, you could get it and they had money and power. You could go get it then. George Oppolo was making the great Turkish cigarettes. He had it. And I remember him. I met him in the early 80s at the show. I mean, the cigarettes were unbelievable. And the grades that he had were unbelievable. But nobody ever did it. So I called my guys down in North Carolina. who spend millions and millions of dollars getting Orientals in there. Plus, I'm friends with a guy that owns the largest Turkish plant in Turkey. All I have to do is call his brother, and I get whatever I want. And we did that. We did the, the Cajun Black Witch. Steve Coley invented. He was putting dark fire cured in a barrel like Perique. It's not Perique tobacco. It's dark fire. And he would ferment it like Perique. We did that. And I wanted to do the Stave Project because nobody ever put a foreign object in a can that I know of in history. Not on purpose. You know somebody. (laughs) Right. I actually had a couple calls. A guy, a retailer called said, hey, we found this piece of wood. It fell into the can. You don't even read the can. <laughs> and then we opened another can, and there's another piece of wood in the can. Well, well boy, why don't you open 100, and that same piece of wood just keeps going in the <laughs> next can. That two calls, like, well, yeah, we put it in there. Oh, for what? We'll read the can, and then you'll know. I do all this work and thinking. The guy thinks a part fell off the cut or something. All right, so we've got we got about so, three yeah. we got about three or four minutes left. Uh, obviously, this is going to continue onto a second episode. Um, what is strip tobacco? So what happens when the when the leaf comes in from the field? And I've been there when it happens at like standard commercial or universal. It comes in green well the flu cured is and they've 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 heated it in a barn it's drawn out the moisture it's now turned yellow so they call bright leaf yellow they bring it in and then they run it through a thrashing plant which means they're removing the midrib and it turns it into strips smaller pieces that you can work with you you, you couldn't just take the the stem out now, this giant leaf, the cigarette boys can't deal with that. A thrashing plant reminds me, and I don't recall the movie that much, but uh, you know, the one with Harrison Ford's futuristic, we've uh, had Armageddon or whatever. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Is that Blade Runner? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. When I walked into a thrashing plant in Stantonburg, First off, my mind is, thank God I'm a small company, and I'd rather get beaten in the parking lot than run this thing. (laughs) 
equipment jammed together. It's huge under acreage, and it's all painted green or gray, and it's loud. It's so loud in parts of it, your shirt vibrates. <laughs> and that's what they do. They take the stem out. Actually, there's a stem mark. They actually sell stems, and they roll them and cut them and all that. But that's what it is. It's just taking that midriff. Well, we don't do that. Neither does Lane. Nobody right. does that but the big leaf dealers. If you, you couldn't even afford the equipment to do it. Hmm. And then that's how we get it. It's re-dried and packed in the boxes. You know, tobacco used to come in what's known as hogsheads. That's what the old-timers remember was giant oak barrels that yep. would hold a 1,000 pounds. They're actually made out of oak and wire held the planks together. That's the way we used to get it at Diebel's back in the early 70s, early and flu cured. Now it's in boxes, thick boxes, but they're boxes. <laughs> All right. Now, so can, you, change. I mean, can you real quickly, before we got to go, talk about the difference between Syrian and Cyprian Latakia? I think the Syrian Latakia is Black Sea Sokum. I really believe it. I have that in my Oriental line. I looked at some of the pieces in Syrian that weren't too dark, and the veins and everything looked like it. My friend Giovanni, he was bringing it out of Syria, and it brought a bunch over here. And of course, the warehouse burned down two weeks after I pulled mine all out, which people were suspecting of me of something, which wasn't true. <laughs> but I think it's Black Sea, and they were burning different things under it, especially uh, ginkgo trees, but not ginkgo trees like we have here. And uh, the other, I, they were burning certain kinds of bushes under the, the Cyprian. There's a big difference, the smokiness. There's more of a weird smoking smell in Syrian. And it's a different smell. That I think the Cyprian's smoother, I think it helps a lot of blends more than Syrian. You don't want to go too crazy. I don't use much Syrian and stuff because, and it's gone forever. I offered them triple. They said they weren't making any money, so I offered them triple. They won't do it. They're so worn torn. They told my friend, there's no way. We're never going to do it again. And Cyprian's actually in danger. They smoke too much. My friend told them not to. They did it. The government, according to him, bought half of it and it was destroyed. And I don't know what we're down to now. I I haven't asked him recently. I'm going to call him next week. But one day, even the Cyprian's going to be gone and there'll be no Latakia blends left. So I've loaded up on it so I could have years worth because, you know, what he's what, you going to call the Cyprian's every day and ask them how it's going? I mean, you know, who knows what they're doing? <laughs> and uh, I mean, they could call tomorrow. Guess what? It's gone. And then what are you going to do? You better have it. I've always, when I bought leaf, I don't go out every year looking for leaf like every other company does. If I find something good, and I only find, and there's not that much good out there. I mean, ninety-nine percent won't work for McClellan anymore. I mean, this isn't thirty years ago. It's not as they used to go through the fields, pick leaves five times right. They don't do that anymore. And I have to have that, and then cigarette guys make sure I get what I want but I buy like five seven years worth at a time so I think I'm going to go out every year first of all you got to have the three years of age so summer sweats where the leaf ages in North Carolina you can't do it here it gets too cold in Kansas City so I buy a lot because uh, you never know if you're going to find it again I've always said the day I can't find good leaf I'm shutting the doors I won't do it anymore on that so note, we're gonna. Now, on on that note, we're gonna wrap up for this episode. And uh, guess what? We'll have uh, Mike on for uh, again in two weeks. So, uh, and Mike, then you'll get the fast five final questions. And obviously, I might be able to ask you a few more questions because I've only got about ten or twelve more on this piece of paper. Because I think we got through three already. So. Uh, we'll have more Mike in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, the rest of you stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. 
Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and uh, we will have Mike back on again. And I've already recorded it, and it'll be played two weeks from Tuesday when I'm in uh, Las Vegas for the IPCPR, and I'll uh, probably get together with Mike and Mary for dinner at least one night. Uh, Mike is definitely more the... uh, more of a tobacco man uh, in the old world sense of, you know, knows the leaf, understands what's it, what it's going to do before it is going to do it. And, uh, yeah, and uh, not real shy either. So we'll have more with Mike, I promise. All right, for music, uh, this Friday is uh, actually my 26th wedding anniversary. 26? Yeah, 26. Um Last year, my wife and I didn't get to do anything on our anniversary because I was flying off to New Orleans for the IPCPR and spent the evening having dinner with uh, one of the young ladies that works with us. So for my 25th wedding anniversary, I went to New Orleans with a 23-year-old. Basically like being married, too. We had dinner, and then I went to to bed, and she went to bed. Um, But it... Got me thinking about Harry Connick Jr., and of course Harry's got a new album out, and this one is called uh, No One Does I Do Like uh, I Do Like We Do. So, Harry Connick Jr. for you. People say together forever and a lot of meaning too. No one does that do like we do mm. Fireworks fade and the fireflies Once the honeymoon's through They don't do I do like we do Nobody got it you like me Nobody got this history The good times and the hard times And the wild times we've been through Nobody got me like you And I ain't much, but this much is true No one does I do like we do I try to keep you guessing And you still got me confused I do like 
The song is called I Do Like We Do. It's from Harry's new album, That Would Be Me, came out late last year. I have a feeling I played that once before, but probably not. It has nothing to do with pipe smoking, except for the fact that I like it, and I was smoking a pipe while listening to it. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. Not yet, but I'm working on it. All right, in the mailbag, going back uh, two weeks. We're going all the way back to when Steve Lau was on. Uh, Greg writes, I'm a little late chiming in, but I really enjoyed the interview with Steve. He's an amazing guy in both his career and as a pioneer in teaching folks the art of pipe restoration. As Al and many others, I'm sure do, I consider Steve my mentor and, more importantly, my friend. Thanks for shedding light on the other side of the man behind Reborn Pipes. And uh, Briar Cudgel writes, uh, Steve has been a mentor of mine as well. Learned a great deal from him in the past year or so. I've been following him. Uh, He is a gracious man who freely shares with the pipe community. Until now, I did not know what his vocation was. And it's apparent he is a wonderful and caring human being. Al. Yeah, he is. Um, all right, and last week's show with Stacy, Dino writes, Hi, Brian, I'm in Chicago. During the show, I usually clean my pipe of the day or past days, or I surf the page of that night's guest when one is linked. Mostly, though, I'm in rapt attention to the conversation or to the musings of the host and his musical offering. Uh, tonight's show is particularly diverting, as I only had yesterday's cob to clean, an American pipe with an American tobacco, McClellan's 5100, for America's birthday. Interesting pipe parts, good conversation, and fun music. Thanks, I await the 200th show with bated breath, and now you can unbait your breath. Uh, I'm told a good mint lozenge can help with that, Dino. <laughs> yeah, or sardines. Uh, New Broom writes, uh, congratulations on your bicentennial, 200 hours or broadcast. That doesn't count the 15 minutes of prep you do for each show. I'm kidding. 15 minutes? I don't take that much time to prep. It's usually more like five minutes. (laughs) I'm kidding, too. Uh, He goes on to say, the Pipes Magazine website has been my anchor in my quest for new pipe and tobacco information. I listen sometimes rapidly to your podcast, usually on Wednesday mornings in front of my laptop as my as I scan my regular news site rotation and smoke a pipe. I can't help but think that we've only scratched the surface of the insights available to us from Dave. I too thought I too thought it was Mike Law Neeb. Uh, thank you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what else have we got going on here? Um, let's see, Jason GVL writes, Hi Brian, another great show as usual. Wow, congrats on your 200 hours, that is some effort. I mostly tend to listen to your show at work, sneakily using a hidden earpiece so no one catches on, (laughs) haha. One of those clear wire ones, you look like a secret service agent running around work. Uh, Anyway, he writes, uh, not that it's my place to comment on another country's policies, so I apologize for any offense caused, but the American war for independence was to prevent any laws and controls being enacted onto its people that they did not want or need. And recently, from what I've seen and heard, that is exactly what your government and FDA are doing to you now and then some. I hope and pray your livelihood, businesses, and hobbies are not damaged irreparably by the recent changes. Looking forward to many more good shows. All the best. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, the Boston Tea Party was because uh, the king wanted to put a 3% tax on tea. If we only had 3% taxes now, we'd all be jumping in the streets. And lastly... Pipe Smokin' Biker says, Great show, Brian, and congratulations on 200 episodes. I used to listen to the show at work, but unfortunately I can no longer get Wi-Fi at work, so now I normally listen to the show on Wednesday night outside while smoking my pipe and drinking whiskey. Ah, whiskey. Good old American whiskey. Alright, any comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page right on pipesmagazine.com and in just a minute 
we're going to take a shot at CVS in the rant. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at smokingpipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. our friend CVS that said they're changing their name and they're caring about your health and they're going to stop selling tobacco products. Remember that? The same CVS that none of us should be shopping in because they're so concerned about our health that they don't want to carry any tobacco products, including those evil things like pipe cleaners. Well, they've just announced a whole new uh, curbside pickup express uh, service. And as part of that, well, here's what you do. You download their app, you order it, you place the order at a store, and then you give it up to an hour. It tells, uh, the app sends you a text back when your order's ready. You drive over there, and the app will tell the store when you are outside, and they bring the stuff to your car. Now, because CVS Health is so concerned about you, you'd think that it's only healthy stuff, you know, like vitamins and all that stuff. Well... No, not really. Uh, included in there is, uh, let's see, Ghirardelli Mini Chocolates, uh, Bunch of Crunch, Nestle's Bunch of Crunch Candies, oh, Jack Link's Beef Jerky, uh, there's uh, you know your standard household stuff, batteries, all kinds of stuff, and then, of course, you know everybody needs uh, Nestle's Goobers. Yeah. So now, in case, because CVS cares about your health, in case you don't want to get out of the car, you can send in your order ahead of time, pay for it on the app, drive up, and they will bring it out to your door, out to your car, because CVS cares about your health. They don't want you having to get out of the car and, like, actually walk into the store and get it. Oh, Lord, that would be terrible if you had to get up and walk into the store and then walk around in the store to pick it up. No, this way you can get your candy brought right to your door. Now, if you're like me and you're really lazy and you like a whole bunch of candy, just order it all on Amazon because, you know, then they ship it to you in a big supply because I don't even want to get in the car, drive the car, and go to the store. There you go. All right. Don't go to CVS anyway. They don't like us. We don't like them. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to squeeze in. Corn Cob Nation on Facebook, the Corn Cob Nation group, is uh, doing a, a, a charity fundraiser for Doctors Without Borders. And for every $10 you donate, you get a chance to win what is about a six or $700 assortment of pipes and doodads, and all the money goes directly to Doctors Without Borders. So if you're on Facebook, go to Corn Cob Nation and check that out. If you're on Facebook, follow me on Facebook. Like the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. And while you're there, like the uh, Disney Tobacchiana collection. Yeah, that's my uh, Disney World and Disneyland tobacco-related items there. Uh, iTunes, any feedback, ratings, and reviews, we would appreciate that. Please make sure that while you're there, you click subscribe, and that way you get all the shows downloaded into your feed. So, I want to thank you all for joining me. Thank you to Mike McNeil. And until next time... 
Bombadida, 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 When we're together, just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Hold it, hold it, what the hell is that shit?